Hello and welcome to Game Pass Forever, a standalone segment of the Outside is Overrated podcast. Outside is Overrated is a podcast about gaming, movies, and nerd pop culture. Each month for this segment, we dive into a new game off the Xbox Game Pass lineup as voted on by our Patreon supporters. This segment exists because of the generous support of our backers on Patreon. If you enjoy this content, please visit patreon.com oio and pledge at least $2 a month to support the show. Outside is Overrated is presented by Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. I'm your host, Tom Sidlachik, and joining me tonight are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Hey-o. And Dr. C, the lover of track meets Casey Aline. Hey, what's happening, everybody? For May's Game Pass Forever game, we played Sid Meier's Civilization VI by Firaxis. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm good at names. Released in 2016, Civ Six is the latest entry in a venerated series. It has a Metacritic rating of 88 on PC. I uh, honestly couldn't tell you. I didn't look up what the Xbox Metacritic was. I'm guessing it's probably a little lower, but then again, also, it's, it's probably the type of thing where people were... A lot of reviewers are probably not judging it completely against the PC because they were probably just judging it as you know this is how it is on console blah 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 but who knows I guess yeah and I hate Metacritic with a burning fiery passion but it at least gives us a number to talk about a metric a metric the core gameplay loop for Civ 6 you start with a single settler you establish a city slowly in Casey's case you slowly expand your empire you start new cities gather resources research science and civics and vie for several different types of victories with other players. Joey, you put this game up for our monthly vote. What was your history with the Civilization franchise? So I um, I think in some way or another, I've played every Civ game since Civ 3. I don't think I played... I know I didn't play the original Civ. I don't think I ever played Civ 2. It was around Civ 3 time was when I had started messing around with it. And um, it's not like I've ever played like... You know, like the Paul Charchian thousands of hours of civilization, like he'll bring up every now and again. Oh, so he played like five games. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, accurate. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'd dabble. I'd put some time. I'd play a few games, um, and then usually bounce off it, get distracted by something else. But the game in the series that I've probably put the most time into is Civilization Revolution, which was a religious, religiously hey. originally released. Um, for the PS3 and PS Vita. Um, and I believe I played it on both systems because I think it was like a cross-buy game. I can't remember which one I played it most on, um, but I do remember it working rather well. It was... Uh, so the Civilization Revolution series, I think they've made a second one too, is like a little bit more dumbed-down version. It's like a consolified version of Civilization before they started making it so that you could play the Civ games on console. I think five also was on console, and then six also. I could be could be wrong on that. I know six is because yeah, we six it. definitely is. Yeah, yeah, that checks <laughs> um, out. So yeah, so that's probably the most I played of a Civ game, and then the most I've played of a of one on PC would probably be Civ Four. Uh, I'd played a few turns of Civ Six before this, like maybe 15, 25 turns before bouncing out. Oh yeah, that's kind of neat. Uh, but I got nowhere close to completing a single game. Casey, we'll turn to you. You chose a pretty complicated option for your very first video game, my friend. <laughs> I know you hated this experience early on. Did it grow on, on you at all? Ah, uh, unfortunately, no, not not really. I was I was hopeful because 
I had played this game earlier too, and it just was kind of one of those things where I just never grabbed me. Um, did you buy it off the charts recommendation? No, I bought it because... It's okay if you did. We're all friends here. I, I mean, I, it probably had something to do with it, but I bought it because it was on like mega, mega sale. So I was able to get it on the uh, Switch for like... It was like nine bucks or something. I'm like, well, this is, you know, like I've heard it's a really good game, super cheap, you know, like I'll give it a go. And yeah, it just, I don't know. It never grabbed me. I couldn't quite get the hang of it. And um, it was kind of frustrating playing it on a smaller screen on the Switch. Um, I never docked it at the time. So I was just playing it completely handheld with what seemed like kind of wonky controls at the time. So I was, I was hopeful this time around on the Xbox that, that I would have a little bit different experience. That's really interesting that you didn't like it on the smaller screen. I, I played a fair amount of this on the switch, at least eight hours. And I really liked that experience. Like it was all handheld for me too. And I like being able to, we went camping and I played Civ camping, which you know explains why outside is overrated. <laughs> of course. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, I like to, you, I should say, like the tease that I that I overanalyze things, and, and and for the most part, that is true. And you know, this game, I don't know, it's just something about it. Seriously, like, like it gives me anxiety when I'm playing it. Like there's just so much going on, and at its core, it's fairly simple. But for me, it's like I don't know, and maybe it comes from never playing one of the Civilization games before. Like the struggle in the beginning with like just every single leader has different abilities and all the different government systems and all the different bonuses and everything they give you and trying to manage your food sources and trying to manage your mining sources and trying to manage like there's just so much going on at every given any given turn and thank god it is turn-based because if, if it was timed like my mind would have freaking exploded like i don't know what would happen but yeah in the, in the end i just i always struggle with the same thing i i always overextend myself i don't specialize in one specific victory condition which then inevitably causes my downfall which i hate because i want my civilization to be awesome at everything Can't and most of the time yeah, i know it just and like it, i don't know it's just not how i function <laughs> so i just i can't get past that and like in the end i would just realized like all right this is where it went wrong and i would either get super frustrated and just completely restart the level or like just know that i was going to lose which i don't know it's just not a fun way to play a game a couple of things to poke at there first off you would have hated the dynamic timer in the multiplayer <laughs> with yeah. a burning fiery passion but we'll get into that just a little bit later um going back to overanalyzing things for a minute i actually don't necessarily think that you overanalyze things i think it's amazing how thoroughly you analyze things like i don't think like i Sometimes you're slow in turns because your big brain is turning, and I like to give you grief because I keep the action moving. But, like, I don't think that you overanalyze things. I appreciate your analytical skills. Well, thank you. Well, the game's, the game's definitely deep, and, like, the tutorial does a decent job of giving you, like, the very brass tacks, but there's so much that it really doesn't explain. Disagree vehemently, but proceed. Okay. Um, I'm interested to see what you disagree about with that, but uh, it, it it doesn't explain uh, it doesn't explain a lot of the nuances that are kind of important when it gets past just starting a game, um, and so that's that's the tricky piece of it, and it, it sort of wants you to learn by trial or and error, which it's almost one of those things then where. I think you just have to approach like the first time or two times that you play it, similar to certain other video games or board games, where it's like 
sometimes you just got to grip it and rip it and see what happens and then realize what your mistakes are and go back and do that differently the next next game through of it, you know. Which is so much easier on different games. Like, this game, <laughs> each round takes forever. You're talking about hours upon hours of gameplay unless you change some of the settings well, to, t- to tone it down a little bit. So, like, <laughs> in, in the beginning, and we're going to get into it too, but, like, when I first started playing this, it was so frustrating for me. Like, I didn't even realize, like, it doesn't even tell you what you're supposed to do with your little settler at first so you're like oh cool i got a little settler what am i supposed to do this it's like oh i'm just gonna explore 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 well by that time like pardon me but by that time like the other civilizations around you are already building walls and like it's like i don't even have a base city yet off my first turn it's like are you like so that part is like super frustrating and then you're like an hour into it before you realize like oh man i have no shot in this well i'm gonna restart and then i won't do that but then you're like oh I messed up this. It's like, it just, it was so frustrating. It was like, Can I make it, a funny it's, joke it's a massive you? learning process. Uh-huh. Don't get me wrong. It's like, yeah. so every single time I play this game, I'm learning something new. I'm learning something new every single time. Yeah. But I don't want to learn something new in a game that's going to take me six hours to complete. <laughs> so like, <clears throat> the first time you watch Rudy, do you like turn it on and realize that like, he's never going to make the team and just like, nope, new football movie now. <laughs> Any given Sunday, they have to win, right? (laughs) But Rudy is only two hours long. Maybe if each one of these was only two hours, it would have been better. Well, really, the game's only as long as you'd spend on your turns. And so, so really, it's your own fault that the game's long. Well, sure. I mean, I could just skip my turn every single time and just let the computer completely dominate me, which they they almost inevitably do anyways. But Um, So, I think we'll get into it a little bit later, but... I think there's pieces of it that you can lean on that are there. I'm just not sure that you notice some of those things. But uh, we can definitely move on and, and delve into that some more as we dig more into what civilization is. I played, in preparation for the show, roughly 1,000 turns. And this game really grew on me. Like, I lost four hours this afternoon just in the blink of an eye. It's like, oh, crap, everyone's home. I better uh, go upstairs. Uh, but after one, after my first full playthrough, there were still major systems like religion that I just did not yeah. comprehend. It's like, okay, I lost on like turn 475. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should look at a wiki to see how religion works. Yeah, well, yeah, religion. Um, <laughs> I, I've had I've had good experiences with religion and bad experiences with religion. I'll assume I contributed to the good. Well, so the problem was, is when we were playing our multiplayer game, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to do some religion stuff. I didn't decide that early enough, apparently. And once Poland had forced Christianity upon my main, my cities, then it's like, well, any holy people I create there are Christian and not Protestant, which was my religion. And it's like, what the hell? Like, how am I, like... How am I supposed to change this? There's, like, nothing I could do to change this. Yeah, apparently there is no way to change it because, like, I came in after that and converted you to my religion, which we won't say on the air. And then I started, well, because I never, I just, it was just asterisks for me, so I didn't <laughs> even know what it, what it really was. But I started spreading that then because it was just like, well, screw Poland. And then they declared war on me. 
<laughs> I had no army in time had to help defend me. You spread the good word. I had no choice but to defend you. But let's, was your wall. Let's back up to exploration. The map is made up of a series of hexes. Early on, you were making warriors and slingers to fend off barbarians. Joey, what were your first impressions coming back to this franchise preparing for this podcast? Uh, you know, exploration is pretty fun in this game. I really like the fog of war mechanic um, and how, like, everything opens up. And then when you leave an area for a while, um, you can see the map, but you can't necessarily see what's there anymore. So, like, you can see the land masses, but you can't see which nations have spread into that territory. Yeah, and you can see, like, when you look at it, you can see that there's certain resources on certain hexes, right? Um, and if you if you know what, like, the salt resource or, you know, the sheep resource or horse resource looks like, you can tell that that's what that is. You can't necessarily tell if, like, someone expanded their civilization and has, like, you know, uh, a farmer pasture built there or, or whatever until you go back, um, which is interesting. And it, you know, it always kind of tries to push you to have a couple of scouts always just roaming so that you can see things or like um, cheap ships roaming around so that you can see where, where people are at to some extent. Or in Casey's case, you're a uh, settler. Yes, yes. Just have your settler wandering around trying to, you know, it's two just tiles like, at a time. Yeah, it's just like, it, it's. <laughs> I just picture it. The tutorial the, sucks, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you. But like, you click on your settler, and at least for me, they always like show you an optimal place to put your city. Yes. So it's like it'll show you like because what it'll show you is it'll have like dark green for the better places for water, and then usually there will be a couple of like logos that are like, "Hey, city, this is a great spot for one." Right, but you don't realize that like I mean, <laughs> that you can I just mean, go no, there and <laughs> found a city. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the game explains that in the tutorial. I don't think it does. I'm dead serious. Like obviously, yeah. It's like when you're looking at the guy. Like you said, there's different tiles, and it shows you yeah. like, okay, green spot here, and like there's a little image of a city that pop, yeah. pops up on it, but it doesn't tell you like what you need for that city like it, it, it shows you like okay this city is good for this 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 and this but yeah. it doesn't so like it, it, does, it doesn't do a very good job of telling you that like if you happen to build here and your city doesn't have fresh water which we'll get into in a little bit that you're screwed like so you pop up your city the first time and you just completely waste that unless you build another city which you're too stupid because the tutorial doesn't say hey by turn 100 you should probably have another city built <laughs> Like, you know so, what I mean? So, like, there, there's zero, like, it, it, it lets you, like, to be fair, get I, the crap kicked out of yourself over and over again until you figure that stuff out. I've started at least eight games across three different consoles for this game, and the advisor does say at some point, we should get another settler out and start another city. Yeah, but by the time the advisor tells you, it's usually way too late, and it's because it's like, the other civilizations that you're going against are, like, so much farther than you. So, also, though, whenever you go into either your production in a city to create a new unit or building or if you go into either the civilization tree or, or the culture tree or the tech tree there's always an icon of your advisor on what they recommend you to do next on all of those things um and so you can you can always just sort of do, you can always just, if you're not sure what to do, do what they're telling you to do. Or if you're looking at, like, the culture or the tech tree, you can look at, then, what is boosted. If you have done something and you've boosted it, it's going to be faster for you to learn that thing. You can always just, you know, kind of 
drop down and okay i'm going to do that and like one thing that i started to do especially in our multiplayer game is utilize the cues within there where it's like okay i want to do this then i want to do this then i want to do this and then it's all built up so i don't have to worry when it pops back to me having to decide my next tech it's just going to jump to that like it'll it'll tell me hey you finished this one so i could go back in and i could change it um and move it around um so there's there's things there i'm not I'm not going to completely defend the tutorial because it's a lot. It's like you're drinking out of the fire hose and trying to catch everything. And it is a lot to try to pick up as it goes through. And it doesn't really tell you a lot of those things again unless you jump into the Civilopedia. And that's a freaking nightmare to try, especially on console. It's a nightmare to try to like find your way through to find whatever it is you want to find in there. Yeah, let's kick it back to Casey and ridicule them some more. <laughs> okay, so you're scouting around with your uh, with your settler a bit. Okay, we 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 covered that, but you also start with one warrior. What was your uh, strategy for that warrior? Well, was it Hulk smash? <laughs> I mean, in the beginning. So again, these are mostly like my first experiences with this game. Period. So this is my like. How it sort of tainted me from the very beginning on yeah. my frustrations with it, but it, once you figure it out, yes. And like for me, <laughs> once I did kind of get a hand out of it, I sort of made the mistake of real of comparing it to Age of Empires or something, where I just wanted to yes militarize everything and build my build my army up as fast as I as fast as I could. And what I ended up having is I'm overextending myself, and then I, my cities don't have enough food, and then I'm my um city people are just getting like pissed and more pissed at me yeah. and my morale is going down so it's like you're like oh well i goofed that up because i'm going to start over again and then yeah. not do that this time and yeah so a lot of <laughs> by, by the time we finished here i feel like now i finally have a decent grasp on the game but my god did it take me forever yeah. to figure it out and like it that's okay yeah but I just don't have that much time to put into a game like that where I wish I had a little bit better system, a little bit like I needed more with, with the yeah. tutorial. Like it's, it's very basic, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't dive deep enough into it, which again, it's okay if you have the time to put into it. But for me, I just don't have that, that, that time to put into yeah. this. And, and when each round takes, five not round but each each game takes five six hours probably yeah. and you know how many turns it's i don't even know how many. Yeah. like it, it's just it's a lot and, and, and to be fair like it's it's a complicated balancing act to try to figure out how it is that you're going to continue building your cities getting population having housing for that population friggin amenities whatever the heck those actually like what however you build that crap because it always yells at me that i don't have enough amenity amenities in any of my towns um and then yeah having protection for the cities and expanding and moving like and finding like the luxury resources like not just yeah quarries but like Horses, there iron, is, there, oil. There is a lot. And there is a lot in the game. And I think the one thing that's nice about Civ 6, I think they started doing it with Civ 4. Maybe it was only in Civ 5. But uh, they have scenarios that they have created for you. Um, and usually those are shorter game experiences and much more focused on doing a certain thing. And so the one that I played in Civ 6 was you're playing like one of three factions in Poland um, and uh, basically you're trying to 
um, be whatever the family is that's going to take control of the Polish Empire. Um, and I think that one was only like 60 turns or 30 turns or something like that. And you start with like some of the early stuff already done. I think you start in like the second or third age already. Um, and you go for like 30 turns. And so it's pretty quick to go through and it gets past that really early part. And I wish the game did a better job of pushing people to do those first as a learning because I think that is a good way to ease into it and it's a more accessible chunk of a game instead of jumping into a 500 turn you know epic match starting at the beginning age all the way through time um, yeah, that's a much more easy chunk to to be able to bite into and get a little bit more of a handle on the game because once you know like how you want to develop things at that point going back and starting from the beginning you're like oh okay i want to try to do these things to get to that point where i had that experience before that does sound like a much better onboarding experience absent this podcast if oao didn't exist and if i wasn't playing this game to prepare for this conversation i was playing on switch i was a couple hundred turns in i'm like oh well i don't i'm like dead last all the victory conditions i don't have an army everything sucks and i'm slow at everything but it's like oh if i had didn't have this conversation to prepare for i would have just stopped playing Civ forever it's like oh okay well i suck at this game that's pretty much what i did in the beginning like that's what that's what happened to me and then now like when i play it and and that happens to me i just i don't even continue to 500 i'm like oh, i'm in dead last this is going well so oop, let me just start over and yeah. let me try to rebuild and figure out what the heck i did did wrong and, yeah. and go from there so but that being said like i'm glad i stuck with it because i had a lot of fun even that first playthrough where i lost rather impressively uh <laughs> like i figured i did figure out how some stuff worked and like getting through the whole game is like oh all right well i learned a lot for the next run through and now then i started on three different or two other additional consoles so, oh well i'm in the middle of three games that i'll never finish <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do that um, there are so many things to learn and put together in this game. Casey, what was the first major breakthrough that you made in Civ Six? Uh, it was fresh water and how important that was. Yeah, and, I never realized that. And, and that oceans do not count as fresh water. <laughs> well, I, I built on some oceans, so I'm surprised I didn't have that same issue. Like, I started uh, one game as Japan, and like, Brent, yeah. you're in a similar situation. Yeah. It's like, all right, I'll research ships as quick as I can and get some settlers over onto the mainland. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've never had the freshwater problem. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And so, so I don't know. Like, maybe you were starting... Were you in you a know, desert? Uh, well, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Well, was it sandy everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> sandy, mountains. Was there anything blue? <laughs> Dunes? Were there worms coming up out of the ground? I mean, I played a lot of games. So, I, I mean... This was way back two years ago when I played, so I don't, I don't remember what don't it was. But sure. yeah, uh, and just <laughs> I just remember getting super frustrated with with where I picked my cities and the fact that like I just never seemed to have enough food, water, and like my people were just getting ticked at me constantly because I couldn't couldn't keep up and, and a lot did, of that also had to do with the fact that i kept producing military and and did you like, know that there is a builder unit that lets you make things like farms and... i do now yes yeah. <laughs> yes i did i have learned that so it's no, a useful well, unit and the, the other thing too though they're like districts in this game right yeah. so like that's something that isn't 
like, yeah. it, it explains it very vaguely in the tutorial, but it doesn't explain it. Like, kind hey, of you how... can make some districts now. Exactly. You should do that. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't say like how important the placement mm-hmm. of each district is and yeah. how your other cities, like you should specialize each city as yeah. certain districts. So you don't want to have the same districts in each town because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So you need to, you need to almost pick out like, okay, this one's going to be perfect for setting up this district. And yeah. you need to have that in your mind ahead of time before you even start building that thing. Yeah. Otherwise you screw yourself and then you either lose or have to start over. Yeah. Those are the things that it really doesn't explain very well. Um, which I think is a downfall of the tutorial. I think like in the tutorial, it just mentions, Hey, there's these districts and they're very important, but it doesn't really go into like any sort of idea or strategy around how you want to focus on that. Or if it does, it doesn't do it at a time where it sinks in and makes sense because it's not when you're making that decision to build one. Right. Yeah, mostly I just had to figure it out through trial and error. Like, I yeah. realized there's one that really boosts your culture because yep. you can build, like, uh, theater and entertainment things. Or there's one that really boosts your money or there's one that really boosts your military. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of, like, you really have to look at the tile when you're building those things, too, because certain districts get bonuses if you build them adjacent to certain things on the map. So, like, the religion religious district gets bonuses if you build next to Mountain. mountains. Yep. And, yep. like, it doesn't, like tell you that but when the tile is there it'll yeah. say like plus one because you're adjacent to mountain or whatever you know like mm-hmm. so if you don't pay attention to that stuff in the yeah. beginning you're not giving yourself that bonus which is very very bad for you mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's the thing there's just so many pieces that all interact with each other and and so especially as a beginner it makes the game very daunting um so yeah i i a thousand percent agree with you on that do you think that uh, Casey should have been less of a baby and just played through his games? <laughs> I probably would have learned more, like, in the end, because... Hey, Burn said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very... I'm much, much better at the, uh, the... What's the first age called? Uh, the, uh... Stone Age? Is it just Stone I Age? I don't remember. <laughs> that first age, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly good at. But, yeah, I... Like, when we get to the, uh, the more advanced ages, it's like, oh, I've only been here, like, once. <laughs> <laughs> I had a uh, funny moment this afternoon. I was driving my tank along to take down an enemy, driving my tank over this rainforest, and like, oh, here comes a little camel for a trader. It's like, oh, I got trucks for mine now. It's like, I am superior to you. You advanced, you advanced past them. Yep. Yeah. Burns, are your biggest or one notable breakthrough in this game for you? Yeah. Um, so when I was playing, like, the biggest game that I played in prep for this podcast, um, it was... So I was Japan, and I did it on, like, the real-world setup, which, like you had said, um, you start on the island of Japan, which is, like, six hexes, seven hexes. One of them is a mountain. Yeah, and so it's like, (laughs) you really don't have much that you can do until you build ships. So it's like, I'm going to focus on building ships. But in that playthrough, I was able to, like, trigger the boosts on each of my cultures or technologies Um, which really helped me. Like I was leading for like a science victory in that for the longest time. I don't know if I am like where I've stopped in that playthrough so far. Um, but that helps tremendously. And so it's like, I think that helped me figure out a strategy if I'm focusing on science of like, not just looking ahead at what techs am I doing, but what should I be doing now with my production of my cities in order to prepare for that? And I thought that that adds another interesting 
it adds another interesting layer and another prompt for you to look at to determine what is it. Because when the production pops up on a city, sometimes it's really hard to like, well, what the heck should I even focus on? But then it's like, oh, I need to have three ranged units in order to trigger this boost on this tech, or I need to have this in order to trigger the boost so that it's, you know, so that it basically makes it uh, twice as fast for me to research this culture um, upgrade. Um, and so I think that that was something that was like, oh, okay. So if I can do that, like that helps me lead at that part of the game, um, which helps to make. And I think building a lot of that stuff that you need to unlock the the speedier portion of that also helps with just building a normal civilization that should be somewhat functional. Functional. I agree that getting those shortcuts is super important. I found an interesting way around it this afternoon. I was playing a game where I was trying to score a domination victory. So I was just attacking, attacking, attacking. I took out three different rival civilizations. And as I took their cities, I would yep. get a lot of their, whatever districts they had built. So yep. I... I managed to circumvent a lot of the prerequisites for a lot of the tech and culture things just by <laughs> inheriting those cities because a lot of them are tied to your buildings as well. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. It really like fueled up my tech research just by domineering other players. One breakthrough that I had, and I honestly don't know if this is helpful or a hindrance, but I realized after my first week playthrough on the Switch that you need to have civilizations all over the place. So like I just spread out like the Zerg. I get settlers as early as possible and I send them all over. I also learned that uh, there's a way to game specific resources. If uh, like if there's a civilization encroaching on something you want, like horses, you can park a unit on top of those horses. Mm -hmm. The city can't buy it. Yeah. Like uh, a rival civilization did that to me. I'm like, oh, you, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't, in that particular game, I wasn't aggressive at all. I'm like, well, I'm not going to start a war over horses, but man, I wanted to. I wanted to. Uh, Bernsey, did you have any other breakthroughs you wanted to cover? Any other aha moments for Casey? I don't think so. I mean, one big realization which took me a little bit is that you, like we said, you cannot spread yourself thin. So if you play this, you need to pick a victory condition, and, and that's what you need to go for. So yeah. you, you can't be attacking constantly and then you know switch to a science victory like if you have something in mind from the beginning that's what you need to go for if you if you want to try to win yeah and i think the way that i always approach it is it's like okay well technology feeds everything right um and, and really getting a science victory my understanding is is it's difficult because you need a long game to happen in order to get there because basically a science victory happens if you are the first one on the moon or at least mars. in the space mars that's what it is in this one because um, it's expanded i think as time has gone on as they've developed the games um and so if a game like if domination stuff happens before you're able to you know get enough of that tech like that's problematic obviously but focusing on tech early isn't going to hurt you right um and so i always try to focus on that stuff from the get-go and then as the game develops you know, if it pushes me in one direction or another, then I sort of try to lead into that a little bit more. But if you're trying to dominate or you're trying to get a religious victory, you do kind of have to focus on those from the start to get an early start on that stuff so that you can crowd out any of the other influences. I, uh, I always focus on production out of the gate. 
to me, production was the most important thing in the game because production affects, and I don't understand how, but production affects how quickly you build things, how quickly you turn out units. So like, because it's producing. It's yeah. So get those builders cranking early enough, and buy all the tiles you can around your stuff as early as possible. I uh, I was a big fan of boosting production. As you advance, you send new settlers out into the world to establish new cities and expand your empire. Burns, what were your key expansion strategies? I mean, so I I will I always like to build cities so that with a little bit of as the influence builds around that city, it's going to help make like a contiguous border between things, you know. And obviously, you're looking for obviously you're looking for resources that you need in order to continue to develop like in our multiplayer game i didn't have niter so i couldn't i i learned how to make gunpowder but i couldn't ever have create any rifle units because i didn't produce any of that and so that really screwed me as you know i'm being attacked on one side by a bunch of cannons from poland and you're rolling in with your gunners to come in and shoot them and it's just like yeah i've got arrows i'm doing my bombard with arrows it's doing like one damage to these wing two sars that are a pain in the dick those guys were really tough yeah yeah they were beefy can't you trade for those resources or purchase them from other civilizations i mean it's a not an ideal way to do that, but at yeah. least I proposed zero trades in this game. <laughs> well, so in a thousand turns, zero trades. Yeah, well, because I proposed the open borders with you multiple times to try to keep that going because I didn't know how to propose trades. Yes, um, <laughs> so there there was that. Uh, but I think one of the other really good things to do is with your like first couple of. Uh, caravans that you create your merchants um you should have them go to your other cities because wherever they go they create a road mm -hmm. and your units go faster when they travel along a road and so if you have roads between all of your cities you can quickly move your troops then from city to city if you need to defend different areas or need to go off to attack something or if you're Tom, you build roads to the cities you're most likely to attack. I mean, there's that too. Yes, there is that too. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, having those roads helps with getting different places um, a thousand percent. Casey, given your struggles, what are your expansion tips for a new player? Um, build your second city fairly early on. Um, and I usually try to pop it up as close to my capital city my first city is possible um and, and try to when you put it down pay attention to all the resources that are, that are around it because you want to give give your city the the most production value and bonuses that you can early in the game uh after that then i'd spread out and try to build around a natural wonder or mm -hmm. or some other you know bigger <clears throat> whatever you want to call it on the, on the map to, yeah. to give you those those types of bonuses um and then yeah also don't forget to attach your soldiers to your uh settlers as they're wandering around the map where and they get killed or kidnapped yeah. yes <laughs> learn learn that too uh -huh. well that pissed me off restart <laughs> was it your only settler uh no it wasn't it wasn't my first one it was it was <laughs> Lost the game before I even started. winner has been defeated by it. So it didn't kill it; it captured it. So I'm like, "Dang it!" So then I'm like trying to chase it down with with my units, yeah. and it goes 
all the way across the other side of the map. So I wasted, I don't even know how many uh-huh. turns trying to chase the stupid thing down. Goes all the way to a barbarian camp that's on the coast, and the barbarian camp had a bunch of ships. So I get close, and I'm like, ah, I got you now. Arrow, 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 arrow. Dead. I'm like, all right. Settler's dead. No. Time to start no. game 47. Yes. Restart. <laughs> Yeah, Le- learn that one quick. Casey's average turns <laughs> per game is like twelve. It's just like screw this one, start over. Uh, you Probably are more like a hundred. You are a master of conquering adversity, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you have to spread out as far as possible to fuel your production engine. Like I love getting those settlers out and just finding key resources and parking right next to it. I also played a conquest game, which was kind of interesting. I knocked out roughly two and three quarters players, and I was in control of seriously twenty cities. Like it was, which is nice because you're going to be able to produce a whole lot of things then at that point. Yeah, but it's also like unbearable at times because like production's constantly popping up. It's like, what am I focusing on here? What's going on? So, what districts did I inherit in this crappy yeah. city? In that instance, like though. Setting up queues in each of those cities is like a must. As you get later on in the game, setting up production queues and just taking a little bit of time at one point, say, these are the next three things I'm creating in this city, and then letting it just do it until it pops up that you're, you know, you need to do something else here now. That would be smart. I was making so much money with that. Like, uh, at times, I would just start buying stuff wantonly. Yeah. Like, I piled up 3,000 gold. It's like, oh, I, yeah. I need to buy some things. Yeah, <laughs> which is nice. The, now, the one thing... I don't know if it does it on computer, but on console, the one like frustrating thing with it is that you can't outright buy something if you have things in the queue. Oh, interesting. And I didn't even figure that out until we were playing our multiplayer game. I just thought, like, I was basically just hitting buttons and messing around with things until, like, the everything would pop up. And it's the same, it's even for, like, the religious units, which you can't actually build other than just buying them with religion or with faith. Uh, and so, basically, if you had a queue built up, and then, oh, I need to build a faith unit, I have to delete everything out of that queue, buy the faith units that I want to buy, and then re-put everything back into the queue. That's one thing that's a bit clunky. I don't know if it's different with the UI that's on a computer or not, but at least on the Xbox, it was pretty It was pretty clunky. Um, one other tip as you're advancing your civilization that's important to do is... To go back into your policies that you have initiated in your government and make sure that they make sense for what you're trying to do on turn 150 compared to when you set it up on like turn like turn 20 when you first founded your government. Well, Bernsey, what uh, what fell through the cracks there? Because like every time you research a new civic, they'll show you that you unlock new things, and usually it opens up the policy tree for you, doesn't it? It does, but a lot of the time... You just blindly click out of it, like, nope, nope, nope. Well, no, the biggest thing is I'll look at what the new one is, and it's just like, well, I don't care about that, and then I'll exit back out. But I don't necessarily look at what I have instituted there. And it's not like it burned me ever, um, but it's just something that's good to pay attention to, because sometimes you'll have um, pieces that will be very helpful, right? Um, and then usually if I found a new government that has new different slots, I'll rejigger everything. Um, I think also what is helpful because it gives you like real quick bursts is putting in like the policies to add like plus two to your development of a great person. Because um, the great people, once you get them, as long as you can like fill out what they need to do can sometimes be huge boons like 
most of them it's just usually like you got to move them to one of the districts that you already have and then just basically have them either put a great work there or or trigger whatever event they do you know um but then i had the one where um it was like a scientist and i basically got extra science it was like 150 science once i trigger it for every mountain that is adjacent to that hex so it's like oh, okay well where's the spot that i can trigger the most science off and then that's like one of the times when i had to get you to allow me to go through your your city i should so, have raised the price on that a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i did throw you some money but basically once he triggered that I had like a queue of like three items in my uh, in my tech tree at that point, and it just researched all of them like bam, 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 bam. I was like, okay, that was freaking sweet. So those great people can really help push things if you can trigger those, and and a lot of the development of that is based around the districts that you build, and then adding the new buildings to those districts. So not just building the district, but doing that, and then doing the. Uh, I can't remember what the bottom thing is, but it's like basically you can have your production go into doing something in that district, which will usually raise whatever that district produces, but then also will usually trigger or at least greatly increase the chance of triggering a great person that's tied to that district also. I wanted to uh, poke at this before you got into great people, but uh, we were talking about governments and the different policies that you can institute, and there's an interesting system for it. Casey, did you advance far enough to change your government at all? <laughs> I, I did, yes, I did. Um, but it, uh, I will second what you said, because there are times where like you're far down at, <laughs> in different ages, and you kind of, like like you said, I look at it and say, oh, okay, no, that, that's fine, and then you advance a different age, and the bonus is like, you get a you know production bonus for developing medieval units, and you're like, three ages past that yes. it's like i'm not making many units anymore why the heck do i yeah. have that sitting there yeah. Duh, like put, put, put a different one in there yeah i uh, i paid more attention to my government than you guys did my friends i mean i paid attention to it but i just i didn't there's so many other things that i was focused on that i didn't uh re-maneuver some of that stuff sometimes because this game has like a bajillion things that you there are bajillion things and i will say one of my quibbles that i had with the ui in this game or another one of the quibbles i had with the ui was in that policy screen if you had um any of on the far excuse me far right side of the screen any of those policies that were on there it was really tricky to try to see what those were because you'd have like a, a column of policies that would be half cut off by the screen and then you jump over to the next like page of them and it doesn't always show what those ones are it was really wonky how that worked on a tv screen were you able to uh filter it by the different classes of the policies yeah i think if you did that then you could see it but it was just i don't know it was just weird um a, a weird way that it always that it didn't format everything on the screen at once or not just everything on the screen but like <laughs> so that you could at least see everything fully in one iteration of the screen without having to filter it down that way um which especially when you have like the wild portions and you're trying to look across all of the different things which one you want to use um i don't know it just makes it makes it a little more tricky Casey, I don't mean to poke at you here, but at the end of the first game, did you feel competent? No. 
Yeah, no. neither did I. Like, <laughs> I at least knew what most of the buttons did, and that was an improvement from the start of the game for me. Yeah, I can't even say I knew what most of the buttons did. I just <laughs> I needed Burns to tell me the uh, the hotkey to turn on the tooltips. Oh so. no, you need to do that. Like that's the other thing. That's like, why I started playing on PC because I could hover over yeah. it and like. You have to hit the options button so that, or whatever the hell it's called, it's generally the, select whatever's on the, the left bunch side of windows the, things that on pile the up on top of each other. That's yeah. what the name of the. It's the icon that's on the button, but yeah, that'll turn on. No, I think it's the name too. Yeah, yeah. the bunch of Windows button. Bunch of Windows. It's probably the Windows button. It's Xbox. Yeah, it's Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm glad we worked through this together. Yeah, we figured it out. But uh, that basically is going to make it so that when you have a hex highlighted, it tells you what's in that hex, or when you have anything else highlighted, it tells you what. It gives you more details on that, um, and that's that's a must-have for this game because otherwise you just got to try to remember what any of this stuff is and that's not going to happen yeah i was constantly flicking it on and off because like first i needed to know what the buttons did but then it got really annoying when i knew what some things did like looking at trade routes there'd be like this big box of explanations and uh -oh. then you couldn't see what like the benefits were for the trade routes uh bernsey you played a handful of games of civ now are you like a master are you competent <laughs> I I would say that I'm maybe pwn? somewhat competent. Like it definitely helped me having played multiple Civ games prior to this. There's a lot that kind of carries over. Um, I, there were things that were new to this one. I I don't know exactly what those are because builders it's kind were of... one of them. There used to be workers. Oh really? Okay. Builders but... have a limited number of builds in this. You can basically build three things with them and then they're gone. <laughs> gotcha. And I think there's there was. I, I, see, that's the thing. It blurs to me as to which iteration of the game introduced the different pieces. Um, and so, I, I don't know. I think after... I think I've played five games of Civ Six now. Um, there's still things that I truly don't understand or know completely how to manage optimally. Well, let me put you on the spot here. What is the most viable track to Victory Burns? What is the <laughs> tech track of Civ Six? Honestly, I don't necessarily know that there is like one thing. I think so conquest conquest things really depend upon how much the computer is going to gang up on you if you become a threat, right? Um and I think part of that's going to be tied to the difficulty level that you play on. If you play on a higher difficulty level, I bet you conquest is harder to do. Um, science is harder because it takes longer. That's it's probably the one that takes the longest to try to accomplish. Uh, one quick note on Conquest before we move off of that. The civilizations were just watching me massacre city after city. And, like, everyone denounced me. And, like, the warmonger, like, everyone denounced me for being a warmonger over and over and over again. But, like, nobody was building troops. It was almost, it was slightly harder than XCOM 2. Yeah, so that, and then that, that's, that, that's surprising to me. Because at least in other iterations of Civ, attacking always ended up being a fool's errand. Um... And so, and like I, I use the same same six units for hours and hours. Yeah, and maybe it's because you were. I mean, were you fighting the same types of things, or were you technologically advanced past where they were militarily, and that's what made it easier to dominate through a lot of them? By the end of it, I was technologically superior. But like at the beginning, like when I took down the first other civilization, we were on even footing. Like he declared war. It's like, all right, great. That's just the opportunity I was looking for. Thank you, neighbor. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's interesting. I mean, I'm not an expert, so I really can't say. I, I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've, I don't, 
Other than that small scenario of Civ Six, I haven't won a game of Civ Six, so I can't tell you what the what the what the best route to victory is. Well, Casey, you definitely started the most games out of the three of us. What is the most viable path for victory? Um, I mean, I haven't won a game either, so I don't particularly know. But science seems like the easiest one for me. Like Joey said, it does take the longest, but I think if you focus on that from the get-go, um, you can kind of work around the other things. Because I think domination for the other civilizations, the AI civilizations, is is really hard for them to win because yeah. um, they're they're more than likely not going to be able to take over every other capital city or you know f- right. from from. <laughs> From everybody, and especially you, if you're if you do advance and you and you look out for yourself, it's going to be tough. So I think science is one that it's easy to focus on from the beginning, and it is one that you could potentially um, win because the other civilizations are not usually going to just focus 100% on that either. They're going to be slightly weaker than you if if you make that your main focus. I don't think you particularly enjoy this game, but do you think it's fun to lock into your victory conditions from the very beginning, or would you like a more flexible experience that gave you more opportunities to adapt and change what you were doing to match the scenario at hand? Oh, 100% the latter. Um, like, it's... it's Like I said, for, for me, I like, to, I like my civilization. I want to be better at all sorts of different things. Like I want to be able to defend my city. If it gets attacked, I want to be able to attack other cities. If that, if that is an option, um, well, also exploring some of the other thousand things that you can do in the game. Uh, it kind of sucks that you have to pigeonhole yourself into one specific strategy from the get go. Uh, and I think it's really hard to adapt on the fly, especially as you get later and later into the game. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know that, I don't know that it's like you have to single-mindedly just do one thing. Like, I mean, obviously, if you're building up to do domination, you're also at least gaining technology to some level because you're trying to advance your military enough to be able to attack other people and do that pretty well. And you've probably built up, like, your production engine to be able to produce a lot of these things. Um you know, I think some of the other ones that are more that are more nuanced, like religion or culture, especially religion, like you have to you have to get your religion established early enough so that it's actually going to be able to be established. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get a religious victory. I wonder if one of the core means of victory is not like the ultimate like ending if it's not a likely outcome in every single game whether it's domination science or cultural victory i wonder if the score victory is the most common outcome probably because i'm guessing it's really hard from a science perspective to get all the way to the end of the track to get to mars Um, what if you just set the production queue on the first turn go to mars and then just next turn next turn next turn next turn forever i mean you'd probably get wiped out by somebody Nope, nope, doesn't check out. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd probably get wiped out by somebody because they would uh, start attacking you somewhere at some point. 
Um, I would I, think. I thought trying the domination victory was fun. I had a lot of fun rolling my six units city to city and just like kicking down all the doors. But I was turned 300 some. I had eliminated less than three entire civilizations, and there were still like seven more to go. Like, yeah, there was no way I was going to actually achieve a domination victory. to get all of the capitals everywhere. I was second in science in that game at that point, but. I don't know. I was leading in score, so I was wondering if I was going to pull out the victory that way. Because how many you'd have? You were three hundred some in, so you'd have another hundred some turns. Yeah, yeah. like one hundred eighty. Yeah. So would that be you just playing on too big of a map, maybe for that one to even be feasible? Like if you were almost a certainly, map, like it was like a huge be... map with a lot of players. Yeah. yeah. So and I think that's also a bit of a trap that new players could fall into. Like you probably shouldn't do a huge map with a lot of civilizations if you're just trying to get through a game and figure things out because it overcomplicates things and it makes things a lot more difficult than if you play on a smaller map with fewer opponents um which again like the scenario that i did was much more focused and when i got to the end of that it was still a score victory it wasn't any of the other things um so that probably is the more common one, which means you have to ha- you have to be scoring points in a lot of the different aspects, uh, not just that one. Yeah, I think there's other things too that come into play too, which is obviously the leader that you choose. Like if you choose, yeah, I never uh, chose. It was always random. Oh really? Interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of the ones that like. I bet you were Teddy Roosevelt. No, I was. Uh, that's the one I can't even think of. It Gilgamesh? gives you the, the war cart right away. Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh, yeah. So I played it as him a lot. And you don't, like, it's not his civilization, but you get that war cart right away. And if you want to try to do a domination victory, you don't get um, warmonger penalties in the early stage. So you can oh. build a whole bunch of war carts and just start rolling. Well, you don't uh, get warmonger penalties if you go to war with an ally's enemy. That too. No, but I'm saying, like, anybody... Like oh. no, nobody. So like, no matter what civilization you are, you don't get war penalties in the. So that's probably why you're like the warmonger in the, in the stuff wasn't stage. mattering. No, I assure you, there were warmonger penalties. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, as as the age advanced, then then you get it. it. But if if you start early, so like if you are Gilgamesh's civilization, which is the Sumerians. Sumerians, they have that war cart, so you can build a bunch of war carts from the beginning, and you can just start rolling cities. And you don't get warmonger penalties in that first first age. We are going to have to pick up the pace here just a little bit, guys. Uh, Burns and I played a multiplayer game with uh, our good friend of the show, John Munch. Casey couldn't make it. He was hanging out with his mother. Yep. <laughs> Burns, a couple of things from our multiplayer game. We tried a dynamic timer, which sounded like a good idea, but uh, really it was just frustrating, right? Yeah. No, like, yeah, a thousand percent. It second was... section, we went to a three-minute timer, and we just clicked when we were done with our turn, and then everything proceeded. That seemed like a much better experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in that game, we ran into some connection issues, and John ended up getting out of sync and couldn't get back into the game anymore at a certain point. So that was, like, unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, the dynamic timer, especially early on, is, like... Yeah, because it, it, I think it that, felt like thirty seconds. It was, at times. I think it was. I think it was at most thirty seconds at the beginning. Which, granted, you don't have a lot to do. It would have been fun to hear Casey lose his mind. In oh. some turns, it wasn't too bad. But like then, when you just have to click a settler and say found a city. Yeah, but then <laughs> you would get to some of those turns where it's like, oh, I have a new tech to decide and a new culture to decide, and production is doing one of my cities, and I have to try to do that in a minute. It's just like you get like. 
you get done with one of those things and you start going on to the second one and already it's dinging that you have 10 seconds left. You're just like, yeah. or if like I'm trying to like propose something to you and it's just like it takes a while to go into the menu and do that and it's just like, oh, well, I guess I'll have to do that next turn. And it's just... It's all I'm screaming, let's go. Oh, yeah. I would have hated that. <clears throat> Absolutely. So that, that was tricky. And, you know, it was still like a little bit frustrating when like the other person would finish right away. And then you're like, well, I've got a lot of things to do. Sorry. It's going to take the three minutes this time, you know, but. Meanwhile, um, I'm yelling, let's go. Yeah. Which, I mean, I can tune you out at this point because yeah, I played fair. enough games with you. So, <laughs> yeah. And I want to touch on that point in just a second. But you mentioned the wonky connections. Like, we ran into all kinds of connectivity issues. And, like, I don't know if it was the an second time. Issue. The first time it wasn't. Didn't we get dropped out a couple of times and have to reload or re uh, requeue the first session? I thought we ran into multiple connection issues both times. I don't think so. I thought it was mostly the second game that we had issues. Um, but I could be wrong. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to point out what a joy it must be to be friends with Tom and to play online games with me. Because we're playing this online game. There's a bunch of enemies, and like Burns and I happen to have our civilizations relatively close to each yeah. other. And I saw there were two iron deposits right next to you. So I did the only logical thing. I built a settlement right on top of yours <laughs> to try to steal that iron. You got one of them, but I got the other one. Yeah. So. I should have uh, positioned it. I mean, that wasn't my original intent with those settlers, but, like, what happened with Casey? Like, the barbarians grabbed him and went running. Uh-huh. So I had to chase them down. Fortunately, Poland had, like, blocked their path, <clears throat> and so they came running back at me. It's like, oh, well, here's some iron right next to Burns. Let's just pop a settler right here and yeah, see how long it was it I think it was me because I was trying to get that settler from them. Oh, yeah, that was my guy. But then they bounced back towards you. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I, I, I scared him back your way. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, quick summation, multiplayer fun? Yeah, I, I'd never played any of the Civ games multiplayer, so it was interesting to try it that way. Um, I don't know if that would be the default. I would need to be much more seasoned with the game, I think, to feel comfortable going into that with anybody outside of, like, just like you or Munch or Casey or whatever. Yeah. Like and it's a like, small group of people. Like I would not play it like competitively multiplayer with anybody ever. I don't think barf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it's just like, I just don't, I would have to know a lot. I'd have to have a lot of playthroughs and a lot of victories against the AI to feel like, oh, okay, now I'm ready to take on, you know, all these five brains out there. Yeah. And like, I don't know what a five brain is, but I don't either. I think I made it up. <laughs> oh, nice term. Like, <laughs> Like, so much of the game is a very individual thing, like looking at what your cities are doing, looking at what your policies are, what tech you're researching. Like, it wasn't a great shared experience. Like, it was nice to talk to you while I was playing Civ. It's uh-huh. like, oh, cool, Burns, I see that Washington is really growing. Great. Yeah. Yeah, well, you want to hit that next turn button and let's uh, keep going? Uh, Burnsy, how well did the entire Civ Six experience come together? What was the biggest lessons you learned on this journey? Uh, so I think... I think Civ Six is a good Civ game, but I'm not sure that it's a great Civ game. Um, I'll say it's the best I've ever played. Well, yeah, because it's the only <laughs> one you've ever played. Um, so, bar- Barbarians are interesting. Barbarians haven't been around forever. I don't remember them being in the first like game or two of Civ that I ever played. Um, to become such a big distraction and frustration and seem to last forever in this game. And just a quick setup, barbarians are units that are not controlled by a player that are just on the map and they're to yeah. harry you in the early game settings. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I think it I think it helps push you towards making sure you're developing like combat units early on so that you just don't forget to do it. Like I understand why they're there. And the good thing about them in this game is that when you wipe out 
a uh, barbarian settlement, you'll get some sort of a bonus. And it's also interesting that there's a uh, variant way to play with barbarians that you can activate that when you take over a barbarian settlement, you can basically either wipe it out for whatever benefit or you can basically say, hey, give us X amount of this and I'll let you stay. Um, but then you can't attack that settlement for like 30 turns or something like that. Um, and then there's like not militant barbarian settlements that you can discover too that will just give you a benefit whenever you go through it. It's being like, hey, you guys are awesome. Join my civilization basically is what it is. And they'll give you something because of it. So I think that adds something nice to the game. I saw something neat today. I was exploring with a ship around right around turn 300 again. I found a barbarian battleship. Oh, really? <laughs> they had built a, or found a battleship. I don't know how. I sank it with my iron sides. I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad that an iron sides is better than a battleship. I wouldn't have bet on that. I'm the captain now. That's how they got it. They were pirates. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. I think the city-states and envoys add another level of diplomatic strategy to the game, which is really nice. Those haven't been around in all of Civ. Um, and so that's like a neat aspect. And... and trying to decide which city-states you want to align yourself with to get those benefits. And it can have a big impact. Yeah. I can't remember if I said this on mic or if we were talking about it before we started the show, but when I was playing my domination game, I attacked a civilization, and I didn't realize that they had the highest level rating with one of the city-states mm -hmm. that was south of them and like right next to my city. So I started attacking this other civilization, and suddenly all these troops are pouring out of Buenos Aires and attacking one of my cities. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe I should bring some knights back. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think the other thing with the city-states is when you're, like, the suzerain of a city-state, which basically it's, like, you're, like, the leader that they support is basically what it is. You can have, you can basically um, purchase the use of their army for X amount of turns. So there was, um, in the, the one big game that I was playing of this, there was just, like, this set of barbarians that were a pain to try to track down. And so then basically I did that with one of the city-states, um, bought their troops so I could like catch them on both sides and take them out. Um, so that was super helpful to have as well. Um, so there's nice things in there. I think on console spe specifically, the Civilopedia is a pain. There's some UASI stuff to get used to. I hated with a passion how it would jump to certain units from time to time. Like, as I was trying to select a different unit, it would jump to another unit. Um, I, I really didn't like that aspect of it. And the other thing that I really didn't like was if you had told a unit to move past what it could in its one turn, it doesn't move them the rest of the way until you end turn. And so you'll click end turn. It's like, oh, hey, no, you got to move this unit. You click and turn, oh, no, you got to move this unit, which in a single-player game, it's fine because it's just like, okay, well, I'll move them, and then I'll end turn. But in a multiplayer game, when you're up against the clock, it's just like, oh, okay, I guess now I have this to do. Or when it wasn't the dynamic timer and I would do that, I wouldn't realize that the game was held up on me for like 45 seconds because it's like, oh, hey, wait, you can move this unit. Um, and it would do it at weird times too. Like I would click and turn, and it would say waiting on other players, and then it would be like, it would be a long length of time into the turn timer that it would prompt me to move them. And so some of that stuff was just weird and clunky um, in this iteration of Civ that I didn't notice in previous ones. And that could just be from playing it on console. 
um, and it being a full sieve instead of the Revolution game, but yeah. I had that same experience with PC today. Okay. Because I was playing on Epic, and uh, like the same thing with the wonky movement of things, yeah. clicking in terms multiple times. They're like, oh yeah, by the way, you have this builder. What are you going to do with this builder? I'm like, I don't know. The same same deal. Yeah, and I think I think the game needs to do a better job of explaining some aspects of it. Like, I don't know. It's basically like you look up amenities, and it tells you, oh yeah, amenities are provided by certain different resources, uh, you know, or certain districts. And it's just like... In the Civilopedia, you should tell me, give me a list of the freaking things that do it so I don't have to jump into a wiki to look it up because, I don't know, that's like my pet peeve in a game is when it's just like, ah, uh, other people will do this job better than we can do it, so use other resources. It's just like, no, you created the game. Tell me how the game freaking works. Casey, game of the year for you? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no. Um, yeah, that's... You know, if I learned anything, it's just this game. Yeah, just isn't isn't for me. Um, I think it could be if I put way, way, way more hours and days into this, and eventually it would just click. And I just don't have that time, unfortunately. Like it's just well, just like buy a switch, graft it into your forearm, <laughs> and have Steve with you forever. Make well, sure that like the game thing, thing is like sealed shut, so you can't ever. Like, I think change. the only time that I would play this is. Like, we're going on a road trip to Branson this summer. So, like, I could grab the Switch, I could throw Civ on, and I could sit in the passenger seat of the car, and I could play Civ for, you know, four or five hours uninterrupted while we're in the car. Like, that would be a perfect time to play it. You um, could do that, but in your heart of hearts, Casey, are you going to do that, or are you going to watch Blade Runner on your phone? <laughs> probably the latter. And probably not Blade Runner, because I would fall asleep. <laughs> but <laughs> I would be curious, though... Like, before we do the ranking at the end of the year, like, if you put more time into it and it would click, how that would impact where it would sort of rate with a lot of the other games we play by the end of the year. Not saying that you should do that or you need to do that or anything like that. I would just be curious if you got to that clicking point, how that would maybe change your your outlook on the game and where it would stand. Or you can stay right where you're at right now and we can be on opposite ends of the spectrum and then just stare angrily at each other for an hour. <laughs> We've played a lot of good games this year and it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky to try to determine how some of these games rate against them because we're playing a lot of, we've played a lot of games that are very different from each other so far this year too. Yeah, hopefully uh, Jedi Survivor will come to Game Pass, and that can rule them all. I found myself longing for an RTS as I was playing this game. Like, I was having fun with my domination and rolling my cannons all over the place and blowing up the cities. I'm like, I just want to play StarCraft. I don't... I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I think... I, I mean, I love, like, Warcraft 2. Like, Warcraft 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. That was, like, a game that really got me into PC games back in the day. Um, every time I jump into an RTS, like, in the last 10 years, it's fun for a bit, and then I'm just like, oh, okay, and I just try to make as many of these things and roll them in this direction or that direction as possible. Yeah, but like, have you played StarCraft? <laughs> I have played StarCraft and StarCraft 2, yes. Um, those weren't as fun to me as WarCraft 2, um, or Warcraft 3 with like some of the things that it added to the genre. Um, and granted, I have not played a ton of different RTSs since then. But I don't know. I actually think I prefer the Civ type of turn-based strategy as opposed to an RTS. For me, anyway. Give me the RTS and let's roll all our 
things right over their bases. <laughs> See, if I could have like Age of Empires with a turn-based game, that would be perfect for me because yeah, I'm always our... way too slow in like Age of Empires. So everybody else's rolls right by me, but I have like the gist of it, and I know what I want to do, and it's a very simple concept. Mm-hmm. So like, if I could just yeah have the extra time per turn to yeah. do that, be great. Okay, so you remember <laughs> back in the day when I'd host Age of Empire tournaments at the Internet Depot in Mora? I do. Yes. Good times. I remember Patrick steamrolling me with archers. <laughs> Sounds right. Yeah. Good times. Uh, give me an RTS with just a little bit more like Civ City building on top of it. Yeah, I can understand stuff. that. That is Sid Meier's Civilization Six next month for Game Pass Forever. We play Loop Hero. Loop Hero. Wait a minute. Yeah, Casey, why uh, <laughs> why'd you put this weird thing? Well, let me read the description and then you can defend your terrible choice. <clears throat> the Lich has thrown the world into a timeless loop and plunged its inhabitants into never-ending chaos. Wield an expanding deck of mystical cards to place enemies, buildings, and terrain along each unique expedition loop for the brave hero. Casey, why loop hero? Uh, I, I don't know. I was Oh, just... well, great. Hey, Tom, Tom sent me a text. Hey, guys, what are you putting up? <laughs> so I went on the, on, on the website and said Xbox Game Pass Games. And then I looked through the, through the games and I was like, what's loop hero? And I clicked on it and I was like, huh, that actually sounds really interesting. And I'm pretty sure, I don't remember who was talking about it. Maybe somebody mentioned it in our Discord channel or something, but it, yeah, I was like, yep, that's, that's the one. I'm, I'm nominating Loop Hero. Did you vote for Loop Hero? I did vote for Loop Hero. Oh, okay, Hero. okay. So, I did too. So. Yeah, we had a three-way tie here. And uh, generally, I don't vote on the Game Pass Forever games. I leave that just for our community. Um, it, all patrons are invited to vote on it. And so normally, I don't participate. <clears throat> and in this one, it's like, all right, well, we have a three-way tie. Two votes apiece for these three different games. It's like, well, for once, I'm going to insert myself in this. And we're going to play my game, Solasta. Solasta? I don't know how to pronounce it. Solstice. Solstice. Yeah, that. Solstice Stella. It doesn't matter. It didn't win. It's a and d like, tactical fantasy adventure game, which we could have all played together, which would have been awesome. Uh, but then Joey and I were talking before Casey got over here, and Joey's like, yeah, I voted for Loop Hero. I'm like, you didn't vote for your own game that you put up? No. I, so, I mean, the thing about Loop Hero is it was, like, a really... I mean, when it hit, it was, like, it exploded for a while, and it was, like, the indie game to play for, like... like Vampire Survivors, only worse. Yeah, it just, it didn't have the staying power of Vampire Survivors. Because but Vampire was, Survivors is awesome. It was a very similar sort of, everybody was like playing that for a while. And that was like the talk of the video game industry for a couple of months. Um, and so, I don't know, it, it intrigues me. It's something that I've been interested in playing. That's why I decided I was going to vote for that instead of Moonlighter, which I've already played and it's a fun game. But uh, Loop Hero sounded more interesting to me. Yeah, Oh, I'm looking forward to it. In the game that you put up, <laughs> I bet it's going to be better than Shadowrun, but it sounded similar to Shadowrun, and so that's why I didn't vote for that. Yeah, I was going to cast some fireballs. I was going to shoot them all right up Casey's bunghole. <laughs> it's going to be great. And on that note, if you enjoy this content, please back our show on Patreon. This standalone segment, Game Pass Forever, is tied to a specific tier of support. You can back us for as little as $2 a month. Check it out at patreon.com slash OIO. For Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey on Twitter. For The Hobby Box at Hobby Box Burns on Twitter. I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. I think I said that right. We'll catch yeah. you next month. Stay inside, kids.